And now, a word from our sponsors. Now available on Amazon.com in print and Kindle. From Sweetie Cat Press, the Who's Who of Emerging Writers 2021, which includes the bios of 128 modern-day writers and seven essays by writing influencers. The bios answer the questions. What do they write? Where do they live? When did they start writing? Why do they write? And how you can find out more about them and more. I'm Christopher Bice. I'm the author of a New Age poetry book called Escaping the Darkness, Running from My Dreams. This isn't one of your grandmother's poetry books. Okay, I do some traditional poetry of love, death, and inspirations. But I also write about all the insanity hiding in my mind. Come experience the stories that are fleeing a tortured mind. Ride the wave of emotion and fear. Shed a tear, find the light, or maybe learn to fear the darkness. We're in the final countdown. Look for my book, Escaping the Darkness, coming this June. And tell your grandma to stay away. Submissions are now open until August 1st for the Sweetie Cat Press Anthology, The Whole Wide World. The submissions should be episodes of no more than 3,000 words and as few as 50 words about the worldwide adventures of Detective Curly Knucklewad and his assistant, Miss Wanda Wowser, as they go on a manhunt for the unknown thief of the limp noodle sauce recipe stolen from the secret government food laboratory in San Francisco. Submission guidelines are in the blog section of the Sweetie Cat Press website at sweetiecatpress.com. That's Sweetie Cat press.com s-w-e-e-t-y-c-a-t-p-r-e-s-s dot com and now enjoy this free jayzo modcast show Welcome to the Grindhouse Sleaze. I am your host, Al Russo. I'm Dave Montoya. All right. Tonight, we're going to talk about a movie that we just recently watched from one of our favorite horror directors, George A. Romero. It's going to be a, I guess you would say, a lost gem because everybody knows he's known for his zombie movies. This one's about a monkey for some strange reason. (laughs) They call it Monkey Shines. What do you think about the movie? You know, coming right, uh, literally, I just came right out of the movie. It definitely was a George A. Romero movie. Um, if anybody has, you know, followed his career for, you know, for any length of time, George was, uh, he, he had a certain shots. They were like almost copyrighted shots, you know? You're like, he loved those dynamics and... Like, for example, with George Romero, if you watch deep enough, he's going to tell you visually what's going to happen before it actually happens. He does it in all his movies. And it was really fun to watch because I, I somehow this movie just completely alerted me. And, you know, I, it was my first time watching it. I, I, I really like all the, the symbology behind it. I like the fact that there was so many deeper storylines, sub storylines that were going on in the background, you know, especially like when you find out spoilers, I mean, even though this is what, like 33 year old movie, the doctor basically paralyzed him because he wanted to sleep with the chick, his girlfriend. Well, see, here's my thing with that plot twist. Okay. I'm thinking they were already sleeping together. Just for the simple fact that you find out later that the other neurosurgeon said, this is a common thing that everybody misses. It should have been seen. And that was the problem. It wasn't the accident. So it makes you wonder, did he see it and not fix it on purpose? 
Well, see, that's the way I took it. That is absolutely the way I took it was that he's like, oh, this is my out to get with this chick. And he totally went with it, I think. And, you know, I don't know about you. What about you, Al? Did you feel bad about the monkey at the end? Uh, for the most part, yeah. <laughs> which, uh, which, is, which is funny because, okay, now a lot of people don't know this. And you know I'm going to bring this up. Is oh, that, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the main character's name is Alan. And the monkey's name is Ella, which is also <laughs> Russo, Alan Russo's youngest daughter's name. <laughs> Is is that just a happenstance, or was that an ode to the movie? I think it was just happenstance, but I mean, it made the movie like seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I was like, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and then you I, know, you get to watching it. You when you get to watching it, you know that monkey acts a lot like my kid Ella. Ella anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you better sleep with one eye open, sir. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and one of the common things that George A. Romero puts in almost all of his movies is it has something to do with the brain. Yes, yes. I, I noticed that. I mean, why would you but, inject a monkey with a dead brain at a serum? Well, that makes see, that no actually, sense. What I was going to say is, where does that come from? Where, you know, I, yeah, to me, that did not make any sense. Um, and I, I was a little confused on that because. Like, why? Right. I, I guess it has something to do with trying to make the monkey smarter, and but and he used the brain to make a serum. But like, how does that? How would that work? And and how was it that like when Alan kept you know having these episodes of anger, he he starts getting these like monkey fangs going on. What does that have to do? I mean, how? Maybe he didn't explain that. I would have liked I think, it if he did. Honestly, I think what that's coming from is he's it's showing that the monkey is like in his brain, that he's becoming more primal and not exactly human. That makes sense. You know, in my opinion, it was really well written. And it well, it was written by I mean, Romero. Right. And of course, the makeup artist was Tom Savini. I noticed that. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting enough. I mean, they've done a lot of work together. Yes. I, I don't know, man. I just, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a solid movie. It's, it's classic Romero horror, you know, because you do, you get like, you get used to, you know, the shock value of horror. And, and as far as like blood wise, it wasn't bloody at all. I mean, it's one of those movies. It's like not your typical slasher blood guts that you see all over the place. It was like that psychological thriller that was also horror. Yes. I mean, and honestly, yeah, I, I think I would have liked to have seen it, you know, a little bit more blood to it, you know, just especially like when the mom dies. Yeah. I mean, but you got to think it's the killings are done by a monkey, a spider monkey at that. So <laughs> <laughs> you're not really going to get a whole lot of blood. True. Very true. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, Jeffrey did die. The the scientist or whatever you want to call him. He's yeah, really that's what I'm going to assume. Well, I mean, you know, like when he got injected, the stuff that he pulled, it says poison on the bottle. Yeah, I mean that was kind of an indication of yeah he got injected with poison. Well, yeah, and again that that goes back to the whole George Romero's telling you what's going to happen before it happens kind of thing. Right. And the simple fact that it's like he said that there was enough in that one syringe to kill 100 people. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, there's great foreshadowing all the way through it. Again, classic Romero. Right. Now, the the monkey trainer, her character threw me for a loop. Really? Because I wasn't, I mean, I expected them to fall in love. I mean, that's typical George Romero. Yeah, but it was the fact of the way she was introduced. Almost like a secondary character. Right. It's like, you know, Jeffrey, he was talking, you know, never mentioned that he knew somebody that could take care of this monkey. It's just poof. Here she is. And he's just talking to her out of nowhere. It's kind of one of those. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's. um, 
well, no, I, I think it was, I don't know. I mean, honestly, because you're right. She did. She just kind of came out of nowhere. And then she became like, you know, the second main character of the plot other than the monkey. But there was really no lead. Right. Up. Right. It was just all of a sudden, I guess, the director of the department. Then, you know, next thing you know, she's he's snooping her. Face. He's like, <laughs> right. I mean, really. <laughs> But, you know, you got the director snooping around in Jeffrey's work. Right. And then he's like, tells the monkey, Ella, you know, it's like, I've got to take you somewhere. I don't need him finding you and finding out. And then, boom, there she is. Which I guess is, is convenient. I mean, it's a convenient segue, you know, into an introduction, but it's just not your typical. Right. I mean, it was. there's no lead up to that. Was there something in there that you just kind of made you groan? I'm like, eh, you know, not really. I mean, the nurse was a complete bitch. <laughs> I mean, I'll say that off. Yeah. You know, she was. You could tell she hated her job from day one. Which is the ironic thing is that I actually know people like that in that profession. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I do, too. And then the mom, she irritated me through the whole movie because she was like, I know what's best for you and this and that. I was like, can you be any more overprotective? Well, the way I, she came off to me is like she it was all about her in her head. Yeah, know? right. She was the martyr because she sold her business to come and take care of, you know, her, her tragically, you know, paralyzed or yeah, son. That's the way I, and I right. was when she, when she got, I was like, I, I was like, you know, put my hands up in the air and kind of cheered when, when she got zapped. <laughs> we'll see. Like with her, what in the whole process of the plot, what irritated me the most with her is she didn't know about the girlfriend. You know, she didn't take time to figure that out. Right. It's it's like, you know, okay, the nurse is quitting. I'm going to sell all my crap in Illinois and Chicago. And I'm going to move back, you know, not wondering, is there anybody else that can take care of it? Yeah. Well, no, it was, you know, when he's told her and it's kind of insinuated, but he's told her time and time again, he's got the monkey right, to help. But and I, I thought that was good because it goes back to an old saying, you know, as far as someone who likes to be a martyr, you know, all you have to do for a martyr is just give them a shot, a sharp sword to fall on and they'll do the rest of the work for you, you know? Exactly. And, uh, that that was her character, right on the money. I mean, I, I don't know who the actress was, but I felt like she really just knocked it out of the park. Because as oh, soon yeah. as she started talking, I was like, "Oh, I don't like you." Yeah, it was the same thing with the doctor. You know, the first time yeah. it's like, "Oh, Alan, you know, you glad you're home." This and I'm like, "Yeah, he's an ass." <laughs> yeah, he's very pretentious. Yeah, and the way he looked at Alan's girlfriend, it was kind of like, okay, there's something going on. Yeah. It's coming. It's it's coming. Just we're waiting. Yeah. He's, uh, George Romero set the stage perfectly in the very beginning. Oh, yeah. You know that, but that's George. Because, you know, you know she's like, oh, I love you. Uh-huh. And, you know, they're in bed together, and then he's getting ready for his run. Kind of makes me wonder if he hadn't been seeing that neurologist prior to his accident well they had to have been friends right because the way the two characters interact they had to have known each other prior to the accident right outside of it yes right and like the other neurologist said you know this is typical it's genetics it's hereditary the whole nine yards so you look back is that the other neurologist should know the history He's probably complaining of tingling fingers, tingling toes, things of that nature. That's the medical side of your brain, sir. And that's what makes me wonder. <laughs> yeah, I can't help it. Uh, Got to love medical. I was going to say, you're freaking assessing a fictional character. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, looking at it from the medical side, he had to have known. They had to have known each other prior. Right. Now, now, approaching it, because we both work in medical, 
a, a thing that was kind of fun to see was like all the old equipment back from, you know, back in the late 80s to, you know, where yeah. we've progressed now. But uh, there, there were some things like that just, and that's what I was leading to is like something, the, the number one thing that drove me nuts was when Jeff kept injecting that syringe into him. I get it, but you still need a tourniquet. You got to make right. those veins pop. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's just like, oh, no, that, that doesn't quite work that way, sir. Exactly. And if he was a junkie, he would have known that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that that was basically my only hang up about the movie was that. At first, when I first started, I was like, oh, is this guy a douchebag? You know, the um, Alan character, because, you know, he's loading bricks into a backpack and he's strapping on those extra weights to go jogging. I'm like, oh, he's one of those kind of people. Now, I'm not against working out. I'm not against working yep. out at all. But, you know, there's, there's a certain level of douchebaggery when you start doing crap like that, you know. And then. Uh, exactly. You know, and that's kind of like where where you ended for the kids because, well, no, backing up a little bit because he he's doing stretches. He's like butt ass naked, and he's doing stretches. I'm like, nope, gotta go yeah. out of the room. Nope. <laughs> I mean, you, you think he's a douchebag because the running and the waist stretching and all that, but if you're not, if you pay attention to the background, oh yeah, you he's, see a, he's he's a, a all of his track runner. trophies. Yeah, I did catch right. that. Right, but he was also a college professor. I don't know if you caught that or not. No, I did not catch that. Yeah, because he said, you know, the professor, my friend. They called him a professor, so it was kind of one of those. Because they said he was studying law. Yes, yes, that I remember. Because they asked, right. will he be able they, to finish his uh, his studies? Law degree. Yeah, yeah, but he was already a teacher of undergraduates or some crap like that on top of going to law school. Okay. Interesting. And one of the things that got me was the whole, the whole scene in the college where he's asking the question in the law class, and the monkey raises his hand. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> that like, but that led up typical Ramiro led up to the foreshadowing of the monkeys in his brain. Right. You know, it, it led up to that point because at that point you realize you, you don't realize it until later, but it all falls back on that point. That's the first that time you realize that the the monkey was in his brain, like telepathy was there. The Jeffrey, the professor, the doctor guy, um, he injected that serum that he was injecting Ella with, and you know it was that red room scene, which I thought was pretty good acting. I, I did enjoy that, but um. So it basically it was the monkey. It wasn't necessarily the the human. It was the monkey that was kind of this open vessel to telepathy. Right. right. It was the monkey because he injected himself with the same serum. Right. And then so, he was able to see everything that Alan was seeing. Okay. Now I'm I'm jumping back. Okay. Now I remember what my question was. So he had to use that serum to connect with the monkey. But how was because at no point did they ever show Alan getting that serum injected. Exactly. So that's what I'm wondering is, is it, was it just a telepathy thing or was there something more to it? You know, George never explained it. it it's, it's one of those things where you're like waiting for an explanation, but it's never there. Right. I was going to say, it's one of those things where it's probably all explained in like a director's unedited cut. Right. I mean, it's like you go back to, I don't know if you've ever seen it, George A. Romero's Mark. Back in 76, 77. It's about a vampire, but he can walk in the sun, do things that typical vampires can't. Right. And throughout the whole process, he slits their wrist and drinks their blood that way. It's not your typical vampire movie, but he's got to drink the blood to stay alive. It was one of those, wasn't your typical George Romero movies, but right. it was in the in context. And then in the process, he fell in love with... I guess she was a widow or divorcee. I can't remember. And they wind up doing their thing, making love and all that mess. And she kills herself. And everybody thinks it's him because of the way she killed herself. 
And so the grandfather knows the family history about the vampires and all that mess. And he's like, yeah, I know it's you, blah, blah, blah. And then he winds up killing Martin in the end. But a lot of it wasn't explained on how we knew other than the fact that it was a family curse. Right. And, you know, you got to think this was filmed in like Philadelphia, you know, Pittsburgh area. Right. Very typical for George. Yeah. And like I said, the movie wasn't bad. It was just, it wasn't your, there was a lot of things that wasn't explained throughout the movie. Monkey Shines was kind of the same way. (laughs) There's a lot of things that weren't explained. Right. I think there's a lot that was left to your imagination. Do you think that they remake that movie today? They could, they could probably couldn't get by with it. You don't think like Peta or Peta would be all over that? He would probably have to change the monkey for something else. But I mean, I don't know. I, I, I other than the monkey. Yeah, I was gonna say. I would say other than the monkey, it would fly. I was gonna say. Uh, I, I was gonna make a very unpopular statement, but I, I decided not to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, I I don't know. I, I really... I That might be one of those movies that I go and take a look and see if I can find it on Blu-ray. Um, just, it was, you know, because I, again, you and I both, you know, Zombie and uh, George Romero, John Russo. And, uh, you know, so we've, we've both walked that, that path of, of, you know, studying and understanding movies and and uh you know this content not being zombie i thought was really fascinating i i don't know why because you can tell it's still george romero you can still see that it's his shots you know like one of his favorite things to do is he'll he'll off center like a main piece and he'll he'll draw your character out for example uh when um jeff first pulled up to the house you know, he he parked offset. He wasn't perfectly centered. He was offset. So your eyes like that doesn't feel right. And then he comes out from behind right. the car, and then your eye instantly locks in on that character, and you're like focused in on the character. It's just it's it's very classic George Romero style of direct. Um, right. But other than that, and the then story, you're in, then it's also got your yeah, and then it's got your close-ups that George notorious for. <laughs> Yes, yes. But the story did not feel like George Romero. That's what I was trying to get to. No, no, yeah. I mean, it was a very nice, flowing story. There was a couple of jumps here and there, and a couple of things kind of left unanswered. But overall, it flowed really well. You can kind of tell in certain parts that there might have been an extended scene that hit the cutting room floor. For time, yeah. Uh, Maybe for content, too. You know, they didn't feel like it really fit or it slowed it down. Well, that's very true because you and I both know that it was the 88, 89 era is when horror started changing because, you know, there was that was pretty much the end of like horror porn was 88, 89. And um, so maybe the oh, crap, I just blinked out on it. MPAA. There you go. Thank you. I just Yeah, completely blinked out. <laughs> um, maybe that was when they first put. The, everything in, in uh, the protocols in place, and they were super strict. I don't know, because if you look at some of the stuff that came out in like 91, 92, even 93, it was worse than that crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I, I felt like Monkey Shines was, it was, uh, it could have been like a TV movie. It was that clean. I mean, other than that one scene, you know, the sex scene. But other than that, right. I, it I was mean, pretty clean. It was, yeah, that in the language. I mean, other than that, it was clean enough that you could probably make it a TV movie. And that might have been one of those that were made for HBO or Showtime or Cinemax or something back in the 80s. That would make sense. That would totally make sense. You know, one of those that George is like, studio's like, hey, we need a film. Okay, here. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, okay, 88. So he wasn't making any uh, zombie movies during that time because he was what he was doing like creep show and then of course this um he did another one i think in the 90s didn't he uh, i'd have to look it up but i know he did creep show 
Uh, he did Day of the Dead uh, in the mid eighties. Right. I'm looking it up right now. Checking IMDb. All right. Yeah. All right. He had Martin in '77, Night Riders in '81, Creep Show in '82, Day of the Dead was '85. Okay. And then he did Monkey Shines in '88. In the '90 in '90, he did Two Evil Eyes, That's a, a short segment in that film. I know he did one in '90. And then and then he directed Stephen King's Dark Half in '93. That's such a good movie. It is. With Macaulay Culkin? No, you're thinking The Good Son. The Good Son, okay. Which is yeah, the, the Dark, dark half. half? What is that one? The gist of it is a writer's fictional alter ego will take over his life. Is that Johnny Depp? It has Timothy Hutton. I don't think I've seen that. Uh, Michael Michael Rooker. Of course, you know who Michael Rooker is. Oh, yeah, we all know him. He's in it. And yeah. that's pretty much it. all the big actors that were in it. Huh. Pretty much everybody else I've never heard of. Interesting. Oh, and George's George's son was in there as a customer. Really? Yep. Speaking of George's son, I heard through the grapevine that he was supposed to be taking over the reins of you know doing the the zombie movies, and uh, it looks like Zack Snyder just came out with Army of the Dead. So I guess uh, I think I think he took control of the rights. And letting Zack Snyder do all the directing. Yeah. Okay. And there's a movie coming out on Shudder at the end of this month. It is a previously unreleased George A. Romero film. Really? Called The Amusement Park. An elderly gentleman goes for what he assumes will be an ordinary day at the amusement park, only to find himself in the middle of a hellish nightmare instead. And it's written by George? Directed by George. Oh, so it never got. It's never been released. Wow. He directed it in 1973, and it's just now being released. Holy cow. I wonder why. I wonder why it didn't go to release. I don't know. Because in the 60s and the 70s and even the early 80s, George A. Romero did all his own distribution. Yeah. So I'm guessing he probably didn't feel it was worth distributing. Yeah. Either that or he didn't feel like it was worth being seen. Because it came out. Yeah, because you got to think it was four years after Return of the Living Dead. Or Night of the Living Dead, not Return. So, you know, he was called the godfather of zombies. Yeah. Just because of Night of the Living Dead. So, you know, trying to come out with another movie that didn't have anything to do with zombies, he probably decided to show the project. Makes sense. I'll have to check it out. Absolutely. Yeah, it's supposed to release on Shutter at the end of this month. Speaking of Shutter, I know we were talking about Monkey Shine. We'll get back there. But since you you talking about Shutter and it popped in my head, did you watch or have you watched? Oh my gosh, I just lost it again with the pants. Slacks. Slacks. Yeah. No, I have not had to watch that yet. You have to watch. I'm debating. So we can do a review on it. <laughs> You have to watch it so we can do a review. I mean, just the fact of it might it, a killer pair just, of jeans. <laughs> I was gonna say it might end our twenty-one year friendship, but you know, <laughs> I don't know. I've recommended some dumb shit over the years. <laughs> but yeah, this is—it's uh, so bad. It's bad. They're, they're just like. Yeah, I know you're expecting me to say worse than. Is it worse than porno? Yes, yes, it is. Oh God, yes, it is. Because it, porno was bad. Yeah, well, it was it was funny bad though. Porno was funny bad. Yeah, it, yeah, it, that's but, another shutter. People listening, like, what porno? No, we're not talking actually about porno. It's a horror movie named Porno. Yeah, and I thought that was. Whew. Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> yeah, well, Zoe watched uh, Slacks with me and she was like wow that's bad and i'm like yeah yeah it was <laughs> have you ever sat down and watched scare package on shutter no that was bad this is what we're starting here Alexa, ah. turn on the light. there we go <sighs> it's my the puppet after saga yep they're all all over here nice zoe and i have watched one and two together so we've got what 11 of them to watch 
that's what I'm going to tackle next. Well, no, that's not true. I do want to see Army of the Dead um, because a friend of mine who where I'm actually trying to get to join the Jaisal Modcast Network, Corey Asfeld, he, he does uh, Pillow Talk, which is a, it's a, a visual podcast with a, a bunch of friends from where I work. And I'm trying to get him to join. Well, I'm trying to get uh, the audio rights for us with Jaisal Modcast. Right. Anyway, he saw Army of the Dead and he said it, it felt very much like old George Romero. But, you know, and I, I, hmm. I, I think I even got a little bit of flack from you. No, maybe not. I don't remember. I think you actually agreed with me. But I actually liked Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake better than the original Dawn of the Dead. Oh, yeah. I agreed with you on that one. So I, I remember I got slack for it, though. So we got slack kind of for it on Facebook. Was that what it was? Yeah. But, uh, he knows that feel. He he does. He incorporates a modern feel to the George Romero vision. So I think that it's going to be really good, and I'm I'm excited to go see it. So like one of my off days, I'll try to sneak out of the house and go see it because I'm okay. not ready. To, I'm not ready to take Zoe down that that uh that road yet because George right. Romero. There's a lot of social commentary in George Romero's work in the the of the dead series you know so i mean yes i could introduce her to it and show it to her as just zombie movies or wait for her to get a little bit older where she can understand what social commentary is and and just take her down that road and let her experience everything that's being told which i think makes the movie even better right exactly i mean here here's my take on george romero you know you got to have taste to enjoy george romero and if you don't yeah, you know, acquire some. <laughs> yes yes absolutely and that goes for the horror fans non-horror fans it's whatever it's zombie it's i mean yes i know that white zombie technically was the the first zombie movie but in my you know in the heart of heart night of the living dead is the real first zombie movie. Right. The zombie that we know today in modern times. So, today. Yeah. The only thing that's really changed between George R. Romero's Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead from every other zombie movie out there is those two films don't have anything to do with eating brains. They're just eating the flesh. Yes. Yes. Zombies eating brains didn't become a thing until Return of the Living Dead. Which is John Russo. That's a John Russo. Yes. And right. And Dan O'Bannon. And that was one of those, I guess you would say, the changing of the zombies genre. Yeah. I mean, because John Russo helped George Romero write Night of the Living Dead. Yes. It says it. It says it. Right. Co-directed as well. And, right. And then Return of the Living Dead was John Russo's, sequel. I guess, attempt to, yeah, his attempted sequel. And then George A. Romero went with Dawn of the Dead, which is almost a direct sequel to Night of the Living Dead. But it's not quite a direct sequel because there's that time gap. Right. Because at the end of the Night of the Living Dead, you know, they killed all the zombies. Right. So how did they come back in 76, 75? 77, wasn't it? Yeah, I 77, think, oh. yeah. Well, because that's that was the whole thing. And I, well, I, the I, movie came out in 77. I don't remember why, you know, because there was. There was like a 10-year gap between no, – I've got Night of the Living Dead right here. Um, Night of the Living Dead – and Dawn of the Dead. It was a tin, was it because of the legal battle? You you kind of know the insight on that one. Uh, from what I understand, it was the legal battle because Dawn of the Dead came out in seventy eight, and then yeah, Night of the Living Dead came out in sixty eight. Well, it came out. It was made in sixty seven, released in sixty eight. But yeah, I mean, but- you also have 
other movies in between uh, that George A. Romero did that weren't zombie movies. The Crazies was one of them. That was a good movie. I didn't care for the, the remake, but I liked the original. I'm kind of torn. I like the original, but there's some aspects I like about the remake. Oh, yeah? But Oh, yeah. But going back to Dawn of the Dead and all that, because George A. Romero wanted to use Dawn of the Living Dead. But because John Russo had coined it, George A. Romero could not use of the living dead. Yeah. But they remained friends. It was just because John Russo had written the book, Return of the Living Dead, before the movie ever came out. Did you finish reading that, by the way? No, I never got to finish reading it. I bought the... It was hard because it's a small print. Was it? (laughs) Yeah. Let's see. It's totally different from the movie. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be said about George Romero fans. Some people have loved everything that he's done. Some people hate certain things. But what I was saying is with George Romero fans, they either love everything that he does or they hate certain things. There's a lot of George Romero fans that only love him for his zombie movies. Me personally, I love all of his movies. There's a few that were questionable. At first, the crazies. The more you watch it, the more it's almost like a zombie flick. Martin was another one I didn't really care for. It was kind of one of those. It's a decent storyline, but I guess you would say the story didn't flow like a typical George Romero film. Now, Monkey Shines, you know, getting back to that. That was one of those films. It was well-written. You can tell it was written by Romero, directed by Romero, and it's one of those movies that just stands out. It's not your typical, oh, let's throw some zombies, let's eat some brains, that you would think with Romero. You could tell it was maybe a little bit more high-budget than he's used to, but you could also tell it's an independent film. I mean, I felt sorry for the monkey at the end of the film, but I understand the significance of killing the monkey because without killing the monkey, Alan was never truly free and everybody that died along the way, you know, in my opinion, you know, his original girlfriend and the doctor, they were killed because what Alan was thinking, you know, how long has this been going on? I can't believe they both did this to me because that's after he found out about, you know, he could, he could have been walking this whole time. And then, you know, the killing of his mother, that made perfect sense because she was always holding him back, wasn't letting him do his thing, whatever, didn't give him the space. You know, one of my favorite things was uh, how the monkey died. It was just like, that was really something. (laughs) Right. It was like, it's like, I love you, Ella, and just (laughs) right in the neck. Shake that sucker (laughs) <laughs> that was primal that was super primal right but you know if you think about it like when I'm talking about all the deaths every death in the film either held him back or did something to him right because even with Jeffrey you know it was Jeffrey's fault of the reason the monkey was killing everyone because if it wasn't for the serum Jeffrey wouldn't have you know the monkey wouldn't have been the way they were right you know, they killed the nurse, but the nurse was a bitch. And the only thing I can see with the reason why the monkey wanted to kill, I can't think of her name off the top of my head, is because she came between him and the monkey. Because the monkey wants Ellen's full affection. You mean the, the, the leading woman? Yeah. Her? Melanie. Melanie. Yeah, the girlfriend. Well, the, the second girlfriend, the monkey trainer, Melanie. Second yeah. girlfriend. Yeah. I, I think the only reason why the monkey wanted her dead is because she was taking away Alan's affection from her. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you kind of wonder, you're like, is this monkey in love with a human? Right. It makes you, you know, wonder. I, I, it, it does. And I... Well, yeah, I just, it, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It just, it, it is a weird concept, you know, but again, it's, it's part of that George Romero social commentary, you know, it's, it's about, you know, 
again, this is just me regurgitating, you know, what I I know about George Romero, but it's it's like um, you know, is love primal? You know, is that a primal thing? Right. Exactly. I mean, and and then you can add the serum into it. You know, was the monkey becoming more human, or was it giving it the monkey an ability to understand? something that humans don't understand themselves. Yeah. I mean, and again, that is total George Romero commentary. You know, you can look at it as, okay, this is a horror movie, but like I was saying in the very beginning of the podcast, there are so many sub-level plots to the story, I think is, is what makes it so fun. Right. And there's no explanation to any of it. It's just no. kind of a, here it is, you figure it out. But that's what George was known for. He was. You figure it out. I'll give you the stuff. You make the sandwich. That is typical George. It's almost because I know he said, you know, like Alfred Hitchcock is, uh, you know, was one of his influence. And that is very much Alfred Hitchcock style, too. Right. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock, he was known for the twists. Yes. You know, there's that one thing somewhere along the way that twists everything and changes everything from that point forward. Look at Psycho. The twist wasn't that she stole the money and ran away. (laughs) The twist was when she was killed by Norman. Yes. Because nobody saw it coming up until that point. Well, yeah, because it had nothing to do with her. Right. Or not do with her, but do with him up till that point. Right. You know, you thought something was kind of off with him because the way he acted. Right. And up until the point you figured out that Norman was the killer, you thought it was a woman. You know, you thought it was his mother. And then you find out that it was Norman that was dressed in his mother's clothing. Maybe that's one of the ones that, that, uh, you know, because Zoe and I watch horror movies together. Maybe that'll be after we get done with this puppet master. Maybe that's one we'll tackle. How many how many psychos was there? Do you know? Uh, yeah, we're all over the place, folks. This is how Russo and I talk. There's four. <laughs> is there? Not yeah. including the remake. The Vince Vaughn remake. Yeah. I don't remember that one. I know it was done by Vince Vaughn, but I don't remember. Vince Vaughn played Norman Bates. And Han Hayes played the main character. And it was an exact shot for shot remake. To the point it was the exact same dialogue. They changed nothing. Oh, wow. That was an actual true remake. Cycle for the beginning. Yeah. It was a TV movie. We'll have to check it out because... Yeah, you know, there's always a TV movie. Yeah. I think that that would be something that she would enjoy. I'm trying to, and I'm pretty sure you're doing the same thing with your kids. Is you know you're trying to introduce them to good movies, and then don't necessarily have to be horror movies. It just so happens most good movies are horror movies, right? It, it, it's one of those things that like you want to introduce them to the good movies, but at the same time, when you introduce them to horror, you want to introduce them to the old horror. Yeah, the the new stuff. Some of it's not bad, but a lot of it's too watered down. Because they don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of... Look at all your old drive-in movies that were independently distributed. You know, Friday the 13th, you know, Day of the Dead, Queens. You know, that's just to name a few. Right. That were low-budget horror that were independently distributed that played at 10 o'clock at the drive-in. And 90% of it was about... Sex, boobs, and murder. Yeah, that's a good combo. Oh, Just yeah. Saying. As a cis male, I, mean, I, I agree with the, that comment. <laughs> I mean, you, you got some, yeah, you got some of the older horror movies too that are like, oh, what was it, like Blood Diner and Troll 2. And oh, yeah, like, what is this crap? It was like one of those, like, did I really waste my brain cells? <laughs> I just lost two hours and I am not getting back. Exactly. You know, it's like a lot of people bitch about Halloween three. That's a whole nother subject. I mean, I like Halloween three. I hate that adult 
continue with the rest of the series, but I've got some good theories on how it ties into the rest of the series. But that's another day. But you got to look at the drive. Look at the drive-in stuff back in the eighties, even the seventies. Some of those movies were just like you didn't know what you were watching. It was like, oh, it's a horror flick. Let's go watch it, regardless of how stupid it was. Yeah, you had a lot of horror flicks that, you know, they hit dollar theaters because they were independently distributed. George A. Ramirez was an independent distributor for years, but he made his staple in horror. Tom Savini, you know, he was notorious for being a stuntman back in the 70s and the 80s, but he was phenomenal when it came to makeup. His special effects look almost real. And I think that's the reason why he is the godfather of horror special effects, just for the simple fact it's so realistic. I mean, the MPAA has told him to, they, they've had to cut scenes from certain movies or, you know, cut them down, not maybe cut them out completely because they look so realistic. And they're like, that's too gruesome. You know, we can't, we can't continue that way. Speaking I mean, of Tom Savini, and I get, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I, I seen that's that, just I Tom Savini, you know. That's what I'm saying about Tom Savini, you know. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say is, uh, you know, Tom Savini, just the legend that he is, you know, as we're actively trying to get him to Scarefare. And it just, it, it, I just seen a good jump in, jumping in point, you know, because it's Tom Savini. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Way off subject. Yeah. Which is okay. I mean, it, it, it's, if you've it's not listened to... I was going to say, if you've not listened to us talk before, we do. We get off on tangent. Eh, it's uh, fine. Do you recommend Monkey Shines for everybody? Yes, definitely four stars. Very cool. Yeah, again, I was pleasantly surprised. And yeah, I, I would give it about three and a half, four stars. I was very, very surprised by how, how well I liked it. I mean, yes, there was some dated things, you know. Um, but again, that's very much because it was made 33 years ago. Exactly. You know. Back then, it was very common to have, you know, your phone mounted on the wall. An actual phone with a tether on it, you know? Right. I don't think most people, well, here in California, most people don't even have a home phone. It's all cell phone. Right. It's pretty much the same way here, except for certain areas that don't have cell phone reception. Right. But other than Uh, that, yeah, I, I enjoyed it very much. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were other things that were really dated, but, you know... It was made 33 years ago. So um, so before we wrap this up, do you want to talk a little bit about Scarefare? Oh, Scarefare. You got to love it. All right. Scarefare, we are doing October the 30th yes. at the San Bernardino County Fairgrounds. We are having live music. 10% of the proceeds are going to go to Autism Speaks. Yes. That's something that we do all the time. Yes. Right. How many guests do we have so far? Um, would you like to hear the actual, let's see, this is the running. We just put, uh, we just put together a brand new, uh, press release. Yes. We're back in the press releases. It's been, it's been years since we did a press release. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and read this to you. Apple Valley, California, the Jaisalman Dark Myth Company has announced PCE Scarefare. A new event being added to the PCE roster. Scarefire is a horror-themed event and offers a wide variety of entertainment for those who like a little scare to the die-hard horror fans. Vendors range from one-of-a-kind products, incredible artwork and collectibles to authors and celebrities. Eddie Aguilar, the man heading up the coordination and the organization of this event, had this to say. We are bringing the thrills to through the we are bringing the thrills of Halloween to the San Bernardino Fairgrounds. Scarefare is coming to the high desert. There will be live music, American Zombie, and Roadworks. We have a psycho, a haunted circus experience. Actors, comic book publishers, writers, and artists. There will be lots of vendors and trick and tri- trick or treat for the kids, which is important because we want you know the, the early right. part of the yeah the early um, part of the day is gonna be. Kid friendly. Yes. We will schedule events throughout the day. Then uh, this oversized big mouth bloat, the you know, the guy that owns it all. Yeah. He he had to he you know, he had to jump in there. 
We're excited to have the privilege to bring live entertainment to the high desert, said chairman and CEO of the James Oman Dartmouth Company, David K. Montoya. With the prospect of California reopening with and with more and more people getting vaccinated, it allows us to hit the floor running and offer the best and safest events possible. My sincere thanks goes to Eddie Aguilar for spearheading the coordination of this event. This is what why I bring it up. This list of entertainment is constantly growing. A sneak peek at the following list. Dan Mendoza, publisher, author, and artist of Ill Ill Princess and Zombie Trap. The, psycho, the Psychotic Carnival of Thrills, The Haunted Experience, American Zombie, a Rob Zombie tribute spook show, Roadworks, which is a, they're going to be their opening act, the musical, J.P. Roth, novelist, publisher of Roth Comics, and Eric Basada, who is a professional comic book artist. Huh. So that is who we got, just to name a few. I'm still working on my end of the celebrities. Scare Fair will be held October 30th, 2021 at the San Bernardino Fairgrounds. Doors open at 9 a.m. And this is important, kids. For more information on Scare Fair, visit www.pchd.com or follow us on Scare Fair HD on Instagram. There you go, gang. Right. We'll, be, we'll be plugging this probably every... Every week we do this. Yeah, at least once a week. Okay, let's go ahead and wrap this bad boy up. All right. I'm Alan Russo. Oh, you're not going to tell them where to find you? Oh, come oh, on. Oh, come on. Come on. What if, what if <laughs> you know, you, you just you develop some psycho fans? They, they need to know where to stalk you at. No, I'm good with that. All right. Well, no. I'm, down for, I'm down for psycho fans. You can find me anywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just pop in David K. Montoya, one word. Or you can go to Google and just put in David K. Montoya, one word, and you find me all over that. That's where you find me. Uh, we are on the jazelhub.com, which is connected to everything that we do in the Jazel Mondark company. That is www.jazohub.com or jazelmon, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N.com or darkmythproductions.com. Don't make me spell that out. <laughs> and you can find me on Facebook at Alan Russo, A-L-A-N-R-U-S-S-O. Same thing with Twitter, Instagram, Alan Russo underscore NRP. And that's where you can find me. I think we need to open up uh, maybe like a Instagram or something for the show, I think. Maybe yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Work. Yeah. That was something the five psycho fans can go over there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, gang. So for what show are we doing? Oh yeah. For the Grindhouse Sleaze podcast. I'm, <laughs> I'm Alan Russo. And you know, we'll leave the door open to the Grindhouse. See you next time. Good night, y'all.